1: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Today in Science from Wired. Is it time for an emergency rollout of carbon-eating machines? Facilities that suck carbon dioxide out of the air could be powerful weapons for fighting climate change. But their deployment requires a huge wartime-style investment by Matt Simon. This climate emergency pretty much demands that we dramatically and rapidly cut emissions, and there's no substitute for that. Full stop. But it also demands a technological revolution to reverse years of -of out-of-control emissions The UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that if we want to meet the Paris Climate Agreement's most optimistic goal of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, we have to deploy some sort of negative emissions technologies. And there is one promising technique. It's direct air capture, or DAC, And it's basically a bunch of machines that scrub the atmosphere of CO2. And surprise, the early versions of these facilities already exist. One firm called Carbon Engineering has been developing this technology for over a decade. See, DAC facilities use these enormous fans to suck in air... And that air then passes over these special plastic surfaces. And when it does that, it reacts with a chemical solution that sticks to the CO2. And then the air leaves the facility, but without the carbon. Okay, so what might a wide-scale deployment of DAC look like? Well, in a recent paper in the journal Nature Communications, a team of researchers crunched the numbers. And they're arguing that it's feasible for humanity to embark on a wartime-style crash deployment of a global network of machines that sequester carbon. The lead author on the paper is Ryan Hanna. He's an energy systems researcher at UC San Diego. And he says, we think there's sort of a dearth of conversation generally, but also in the academic literature around emergency responses to the climate crisis. See, typically, climate scientists will run these big, complicated models to try to find the most economically optimal ways to decarbonize. Ryan Hanna says that envisions this very technocratic, manicured, highly granular transition, which doesn't really reflect the way transitions actually occur in reality. So Ryan and his colleagues sketched out an alternate vision. Imagine what would happen if humanity invested in DAC like we'd invest in another world war. The researchers broke their modeling into three parts. The first was an estimate of how much governments would need to pay for DAC plants. And this would include appropriating crisis-level funding to pay private firms to build the facilities and to pay the companies for storing the carbon they'd be capturing. The second piece of the modeling looked at how fast the plant rollout could scale, using already existing energy supplies like hydropower, because obviously you wouldn't want to use fossil fuels to run them. And the last part was a climate model, representing the entire Earth system, including oceans and the atmosphere. And this showed how global temperatures could change if a mass deployment of DAC facilities turned down the amount of CO2 hanging around in the atmosphere. The researchers found that with an annual investment of between 1% and 2% of the global gross domestic product, humanity could scale up a DAC network to remove around 2.3 gigatons of CO2 annually by the year 2050. So for perspective, total global emissions are currently around 40 gigatons a year. That's about 400 times the amount of CO2 humanity currently sequesters. So we're talking about a massive scale up here. And still, Ryan says, relative to what the integrated assessment models tell us we should do by 2050, it's actually quite small. See, we need to remove something like 5 to 9 gigatons of CO2 per year by 2050 just to meet the Paris Agreement's 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. And again, Ryan says, what that tells us is that we need more than just a single means of negative emissions. So, for instance, we could also bolster wetlands and maybe plant trees to naturally sequester carbon. So the DAC facilities themselves, they'll need to scale as quickly as possible. And to be able to remove a mere 2 to 2.5 gigatons of carbon a year by 2050, which is just a fraction of the amount that will help us get to the Paris goals, we'll need about 800 of them. But if we really want to make a dent in these skyrocketing CO2 levels, we'd need to build them much faster. We're talking 4,000 to 9,000 plants by the year 2075, and more than 10,000 by the end of the century. By then, theoretically, we could be sequestering up to 27 gigatons of carbon a year. Ryan says it shows, in effect, that you have a really long, slow, gradual scale-up as the industry grows through 2050. Then once it sort of grows to a massive size, then it's really easy to add a lot of plants quickly because you have this huge industrial base for the industry. But there are some important caveats to think about here because Ryan and his colleagues are modeling brand new technology that's just full of unknowns, like they have to make informed assumptions about how much energy these future plants might use because that'll tell us how much they'll cost to operate. And Ryan says the other big unknown is how the performance of the system would actually improve and how the costs of the systems would decline over time, given firms' experience with building the technology. And we can't overlook the fact that global politics could make a mess of DAC's rollout. I mean, I can see it now. If all humans share the same atmosphere, why would one country pay to research and deploy the technology if their neighbor doesn't pay a penny? Brian Snyder says it's nice to approach things about climate change as if they're just technological problems. If we can get the cost right, if we get the technology right. Brian works at Louisiana State University as an environmental scientist, and he wasn't involved in this new work. But he goes on to say, but they are inherently political problems, and we've got to solve that simultaneously. And while we're talking about it, we've got to give props to Ryan and his colleagues, because in their paper, they call for help from political scientists to study the challenges of international cooperation on this. Okay, so I have another outstanding question. What do you do? with all that carbon once you've captured it. I guess one option is we could pump it underground and seal it away forever. Economically, that's a bit of a nightmare because you're spending all this money to run the facility, but then just throwing the product away instead of selling it. So that means DAC will need government subsidies to be economically feasible. A nation could assign an inherent value to capturing carbon and slowing climate change, and dedicate some of its own funding to taking a financial loss, at least in the near term, for an environmental good? Hmm, I don't know. But researchers are also working on turning that captured carbon into new fuels, and that could make that initial government investment in DAC lucrative. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Doesn't that sound kind of, well, counterproductive? we'd be burning those new fuels and putting the carbon right back into the atmosphere. Yeah, I thought that too. But the idea is to use that kind of fuel to make hard-to-decarbonize industries carbon-neutral. So airliners and cargo ships, for instance, they are too massive to run on current solar technologies. Making them essentially just reburn the fuel that's on its second life means there's less demand for fossil fuels pulled right out of the ground. And yes, it's not a perfect system. If these industries burn fuels made from captured CO2, they still pollute. But at least they'll be polluting with carbon that was previously in the atmosphere. Zeke Housefather is a climate scientist and director of climate and energy at the Breakthrough Institute, and they advocate for climate action. Zeke wasn't involved in this new work either, but he says, the real effective role of negative emissions is for this long tail of hard-to-decarbonize sectors, aviation agriculture, things where we're still going to be emitting carbon well into the 2050s and perhaps after that. Another option for what to do with this carbon is that a corporation could pay a DAC facility to sequester CO2 underground on its behalf so that the company can then brag about how it's being carbon negative or neutral. That might encourage nations to subsidize the development of DAC technology, or they might buy the tech from other countries to jumpstart their own carbon capture industries. Which is all to say, the solution might be to give in to the unfettered capitalism that got us into this mess. Now, I think we need to be extremely clear about one thing here. DAC is not a miraculous cure for climate change. Ryan Hanna's team's modeling found that even with the massive buildup of this technology, the world will still warm by 2.5 degrees Celsius by the year 2100 if we don't bring down greenhouse gas emissions. Humanity must invest in ways to dramatically reduce those emissions and fast. Janos Pasteur says, we still have to vigorously pursue emissions reductions, otherwise the amount of DAC we're going to have to do is going to be huge, and it's going to be forever before we reach our temperature goals. Janos is the executive director of the Carnegie Climate Governance Initiative, which wasn't involved in this new work. And I think I should tell you too that negative emissions technologies carry a moral hazard. And that's the temptation to keep emitting CO2 as usual and to use DAC as a crutch. Zeke says the problem with that, of course, is that if you say, "Okay, we're going to have very slow emission reductions today, but we're going to assume that we'll have this cool technology 60 years from now that'll solve the problem for us. We might not have that cool technology 60 years from now that'll solve the problem for us. And so you might end up in a world much warmer than you want it. A wartime-like deployment of DAC infrastructure that Ryan Hanna and his colleagues envision, that's going to cost a lot of money, all for a technology that we can't yet say for sure will actually be feasible at a global scale. But Ryan does say a climate emergency demands an emergency response. He says in the long run, over the century, if we're going to address the climate crisis, we're going to invest just incredible amounts of dollars into solving the problem. If we invest heavily now in DAC, in conjunction with a frenzied effort to reduce emissions, we can determine its potential while simultaneously driving down its cost. Ryan says that's a different mindset than, I think, conventionally what we're used to. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com
1: science.